communist George Blake dies in Moscow, aged 98. One of Britain's most committed Cold War warriors who went on to live out his years in peace in Russia. George Blake, who until the end of his days was revered in the Russian intelligence services, was ideologically committed to communism, convinced of the correctness of Marxist teachings and willing to risk his life for them, knowing full well that serving such a cause meant serving the interests of the exploited people of being on the right side of history, the side of the working class. And Blake's life experience, as a witness to the terror of Nazi occupation and US imperialist aerial bombardment of Korea, was sufficient to steel him for the challenges that lay ahead in his own war with imperialism. George Blake was born into a Dutch-Egyptian family, whose surname of Behar was changed to Blake when the family arrived in Britain in 1943. The Behars had been forced to flee the Netherlands and the Nazi occupation, young George having served in the resistance movement as a messenger, although still only a boy. Upon arrival in Britain, George joined the Royal Navy and later MI6. The Daily Mail, in its virtualic obituary, said, quote, After a stint working as a clerk for the Dutch government in exile, Blake joined the Royal Navy and within a year had been hired by MI6. He was sent to Cambridge to learn Russian after being posted to Seoul in 1948. When he was captured by communist forces during the Korean War, he switched sides. He later said, it was the discovery that American flying fortresses were carpet-bombing local villages that made him throw in his lot with the Soviets." Unquote. In an obituary for Russia Today, George Galloway wrote, In Britain, he volunteered for the Royal Navy and was given officer training, after which, because of his background and fluency in Dutch, he was asked if he wanted to join the special service. As part of British intelligence, Blake became a conducting officer. I had to accompany Dutch agents in their training, he explained in an interview. He was also deciphering coded messages sent to Britain by the Dutch resistance. As needs must in such now unimaginable times, British intelligence didn't look too closely at who and what he was. If they had, they would have known that his relatives were senior members of the Communist Party in Egypt. While they were Jewish, they were also Arabs. And though fighting for the British, George Blake's heart belonged in Moscow long before he got there. Blake's progression into the British Secret Service was not dictated by Moscow. He did not then belong to the KGB, but he was already an outsider in every way amongst the class-ridden empire loyalists in MI6, and he was already turning his mind to questioning the false narratives of the Cold War. Everybody knew that the Red Army really won the war but admitting it was rare, again with the exception of Churchill, amongst the ruling elite. Blake knew it too, but admitted it only in his heart. But if it were not for the USSR, fascism would have prevailed. Hitlerite fascism, Japanese and Italian fascism, and the fascism of the enemy within each occupied country. Of all places, George Blake could have been posted by Britain's SIS. He was sent to Korea quickly consumed by imperialist invasion in the first but far from the last proxy war between East and West. Again, Blake knew the lie he was living, a British diplomat peddling a narrative about the charnel house of the Korean War knowing it was the opposite of the truth. 
Captured by the Red Forces in Seoul in a North Korean prison camp, he changed sides, and the rest is history. Only those with a knowledge of history can know how Berlin almost became a flashpoint for World War III, and therefore know how foolish it was for the British to send the KGB officer George Blake next to Berlin. The US and Britain had dug a secret tunnel deep into the Soviet zone in East Berlin at great risk and greater expense. Its purpose was to tap the telephone lines of the Red Army and the East German authorities. Because Blake had already warned Moscow of the illegal tapping, a huge disinformation campaign was mounted by Moscow, which led the CIA on the merriest of dances. When this huge success for the KGB was in turn discovered, the finger of suspicion turned on Blake. Unquote. Much worse than Philippi, Sir Dick White, then head of the SIS, remarked grimly when he was told of the case against Blake. Quote, the suspected spy was unmasked by a tip from a defecting Polish intelligence officer who told the CIA that two Soviet agents were operating in Britain, one at a Royal Navy Research Center, the other in SIS. They were codenamed Lambda 1 and Lambda 2. Quickly, Lambda 1 was identified as Harry Hutton, but it was months before Blake, then on temporary assignment in Lebanon to learn Arabic, became the prime suspect for Lambda 2. Quoted from The Independent, 27th of December 2020. Despite indications that the British were on to him, Blake took the risk of returning to Britain, where he was arrested. In the end, he admitted that he had offered to spy for the Soviet Union voluntarily out of his Marxist conviction. Prosecuting Blake posed some problems for the British authorities. It was said that MI6 was uncomfortable about too heavy a sentence as it might discourage other double agents from coming forward. Quote, Blake had to be prosecuted, but a public trial would be desperately damaging. To the relief of the authorities, he agreed to plead guilty, and at a short hearing on the 3rd of May 1961, he was sentenced by Lord Chief Justice Parker to a prison term of 42 years, a year, it was said at the time, for each of the British agents he had betrayed. The severity of the sentence, the longest ever handed down for espionage by a British court, was stunning. In the event, however, he spent just five years in Wormwood Scrubs. On the 22nd of October 1966 came the final humiliation of SIS, as Blake escaped from what was supposed to be a maximum security prison with the help of three fellow inmates, an Irish Hellraiser called Sean Burke and Pat Pottle and Michael Randall, both jailed for civil disobedience, unquote. Again quoted from The Independent, 27th of December, 2020. The three had met Blake in prison, where they were doing time for peace activism that had included organising a trespassing sit-in at a US airbase in England. After their release, it was said that they had smuggled a walkie-talkie to Blake allowing him to coordinate his escape over the prison walls with them. After coming over the wall with a handmade rope ladder that had knitting needles for rungs, Blake was hidden in London by sympathisers until he could be smuggled out of the country in a Volkswagen campervan, from which he was dropped off at an East German checkpoint. He was to spend the rest of his days in Russia. According to Rupert Corn Cornwell of The Independent, Blake went on, to re-establish good relations with his three children by his first marriage. Blake became a fluent Russian speaker, lecturing as aspiring spies at the KGB. For many years, 
who spent two or three days at Moscow's Institute of World Economics and International Affairs, where Donald McLean also taught. For his spying services, he was awarded the Order of Lenin and the Order of the Red Banner. He took no British newspapers, but kept in touch with international affairs through the BBC World Service. In his slightly accented English, he gave the odd interview to the British and American media. He and Ida, Blake's second wife, were on good terms with Kim Philby and his Russian wife, Rufina. But he was especially fond of McLean, whose commitment to communism for all the disillusions was closest to his own when he died in 1983. McLean bequeathed to Blake his library. Speaking about the collapse of the once mighty Soviet Union, George Blake refused to accept that it had been inevitable and rejected the idea that the multinational Soviet state was unattractive to the smaller nationalities. Blake pointed to the bankruptcy of revisionism, particularly in the field of economics where it had betrayed Marxism and since the death of Joseph Stalin failed to provide continuing growth in the cultural and material welfare of society. He said, quote, if Soviet society had been able to succeed in building a society which was just and where there was equality and where there was an abundance of goods, as was the intention, the Poles, the Georgians, the Ukrainians and any other nation wouldn't have wanted to leave it. Nobody leaves a going concern, unquote. Its failure to do was down to the revisionism in favour of market socialism. Mm -hmm.